Uh, good morning, uh, Freedom Village family. Great to see you as always. Uh, if, you're, if you're new with us today, uh, maybe you're visiting us for the first time, uh, I want to personally welcome you here. Uh, my name is James. I'm so glad that you decided to join us today. Uh, and if you're watching online, live stream, uh, welcome to you as well. Uh, I hope that you're doing well. Uh, well, today we're beginning a, a brand new teaching series uh, that I've titled The Glorious Gospel. The Glorious Gospel. And in many ways, uh, the title of this sermon series is really self-explanatory in terms of what the next five weeks is going to look like or be all about. Um, we're going to be talking about the gospel. Right? The gospel. Uh, one of my hopes, uh, I guess my prayers uh, for this gathering is that we would be people, collectively, together, that we would be people uh, who center our lives on the person of Jesus Christ uh, and his gospel. Uh, if you've been here or uh, attending this, this gathering for even uh, a few weeks, you've probably heard something similar to that come out of my, my mouth, uh, that the Lord desires for us to be, um, I want us to be, gospel-centered people. Gospel-centered people. Um, That's actually going to be an essential uh, part of the vision of this gathering moving forward. But of course, uh, if we want to get there, uh, if we want to be gospel-centered people, that is, if we want to live our lives with Christ and for Christ, if we want to be people who put the gospel uh, in the front and in the center of our lives... Um, if we want to be, be people who actually go out and, and not just live the gospel, but, but share the gospel, I think it goes without saying, uh, we need to be people who know the gospel. We have to understand what is the gospel. And so that's what this sermon series is really going to be all about. And so for some of you, um, this will be the, the first time that you've heard uh, some of these things over the next five weeks. Or for some of you, it might be the first time you've heard uh, the gospel really presented this way. Uh, for others of you here, um, you're here and you assume that you know the fullness uh, of the gospel, but, but perhaps some of this will be, be new to you as well. And then for a lot of us here, um, you know the gospel, okay? You, you understand it, you're trying to live it. Uh, but no matter what category you fall in today, uh, my prayer is that through this series is that each and every one of us who, who gathers here would not only have a very clear and defined understanding of the gospel message, uh, but also that we would be refreshed, maybe once again, uh, by this good news and compelled to live out its truths and to share the message of the gospel uh, with fervency. Uh, if we want to be people who center our lives on the gospel, who weave the truths of the gospel uh, into our lives, we need to clearly understand the glorious gospel. And so to help us do that, um, what we're going to do each week, uh, for the next five weeks, is simply start with a question. Okay? And my hope uh, in doing that is to really just simplify something that can be uh, quite complex theologically. And so here's where we're going to start today. We're going to start with a simple question. Uh, who is God? Who is God? Really easy start, right? Uh, who is 
God. Uh, what we're really asking uh, ourselves today is that if God exists, uh, then what is he like? Okay? If God exists, then who is he? What is he like? Um, and really, that's the starting point of the gospel. Because the good news of, of the Bible, the central message uh, of the Christian faith, starts, it begins uh, with the character of God. It starts with knowing who is God. Now, uh, obviously, we live in a world that questions the existence of God, right? But, but not only that, um, we live in a world where, where when people actually think about God, a lot of different ideas and thoughts uh, come to mind. And so it's really important for us, if we're going to actually share the gospel, we're going to share who God is, to, to go back to this foundational truth. Uh, I remember uh, one time back in university, I was in an apologetics class. Apologetics, for those of you who don't know it, it just means a defense of the faith. Okay, So um, I was in a, an apologetics class in my university, and watching this video uh, that this guy filmed, he was walking around this other uh, college campus, and he was interviewing students. And he was asking uh, a variety of different people, like, what do you think about God? Like, does he exist? What do you think about him? How would you define him? Um, do you believe in him? And I, I distinctly remember uh, one student said, when he was asked the question, like, what do you think about God? He said, well, I don't believe in God because I, I just can't believe that there is a God who is up there in the sky somewhere looking down on all of us who is ready at any moment to attack me and punish me whenever I do something wrong. And to that, uh, I thought to myself, and even today, if I ran to that person, I would say, well, that's great, right? Because I don't believe in that God either, right? Um, so, so let me tell you about the God that I do believe in, right? That would be the, the pivot there. Uh, but, but then at that very moment, right, when you're about to talk about God, um, when you're ready to share about God, what would you say? Like, if that was you today, someone said, I don't believe in God, or I do, but he's like this, this, and this, and this, and all, maybe the spirit in you is red flag, red flag, red flag, that's wrong, wrong, wrong. Well, hang on a second. Let me tell you who God is. What would you say in that moment? What would be your next few sentences? What would the next couple minutes look like? How would you describe God to a person in light of trying to share what you believe in? Um, because there's so much that you could say, right? Uh, there's so much that you could say. I mean, you could just open the Bible and be like, okay, well, let me tell you about God. In the beginning, was, and you could just read through it, right? Um, but they probably wouldn't, wouldn't stand there for, you know, 45 days, right, as you read through the totality of the Bible, right? There's so much you could say, right, amongst all of God's greatness, right, amongst all his infinite goodness, right? How uh, would you clearly communicate uh, who God is. Well, we're going to answer that, right? Um, but before we, we do that, let me just say this one thing as, as well. Um, what I don't want to do today, and what I'm not trying to do, is to reduce God down to a few sentences, or even down to a simple phrase, which is what I'm about to do, okay? <laughs> uh, but I think, okay, I think 
that what I'm about to say at least, uh, at the very least, helps us to understand who God is in light of the gospel. That if you were to share your faith, okay, want to be a gospel-centered person, the thing, this phrase I'm about to share with you would be essential or foundational for us to know who God is in light of the gospel. And so here's my attempt to give you that short phrase. That if you want to understand the gospel, here's the biblical truth. Right? God is the holy, just, gracious creator of all things. Period. God is the holy, just, and gracious creator of all things. Understanding the gospel means understanding that truth, those truths about God. He is the holy, just, and gracious creator of all things. And of course, every part of that statement is found in God's word. And so we're going to break that down together this morning. And we're going to start in the book of Isaiah. That's how we're going to do this. Starting in the book of Isaiah. Uh, turn with me if you have a copy of God's word. Um, it'll be on the screen as well. I think it's already there. But turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. We're just going to be reading a simple verse, short verse, I should say. Complex verse, really. Um, starting verse 15. This is what God says in his word. He says this about himself. He says, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Um, let's say that, let's say that together. Ready? I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. There are so many other places in, in Scripture that we could have turned to to make this same point. Uh, but I think this says it uh, so clearly, that the first thing I want us to know about God in light of the gospel, who is God? First, uh, God is holy. God is holy. If you're going to describe God to somebody, this is a good place to start in light of the gospel. God is holy. It's an essential part of the gospel. Our God, our Lord, he is, notice what it says there, he is the holy one. Uh, He is holy. Um, I'd actually encourage you um, to, to memorize, actually, this, this verse, just so uh, this gospel truth becomes imprinted on your heart, right? I, I encourage you to, to meditate on this uh, scripture and to think about this foundational truth that God is, he's holy. And so what exactly does that mean, that for God to be holy, right, that God is holy? Because that term holy, right, it's not really a term uh, that we use in our culture very often, Right? When's the last time that you heard somebody describe something as holy? Right? Um, like we use a word like holy cow sometimes if we're like shocked by something. But we're usually not describing people or, or something um, as holy. Right? And so what, what are we talking about here? Well, that word holy, again, we could do a whole, uh, a whole study on this, a whole sermon series on this. It's so in-depth. But I think that we can really simplify it uh, this way. For God to be holy means a couple things. It means that he is perfectly unique. It means that he is completely separate. And it means that he is absolutely pure. And I'll say that one more time. Uh, For God to be holy, it means that he is perfectly unique. 
It means that he is completely separate, and it also means that he is absolutely pure. Um, our text here in Isaiah tells us that God, he, even, he declares of himself, he says, I am the Holy One. I'm the Holy One. And the implication there is that there is not a Holy Two, okay? Uh, there's not a Holy Two. He's the Holy One, meaning he is incomparable with anyone or anything else. He is com- uh, completely, perfectly unique. He is unlike us and anything else in this created world. But not only that, to be holy means that he's completely separate, right? In other words, you could say, actually, that God is of another kind. Um, he is other. There is no one like him in the heavens or on the earth. And then finally, the truth that God is the Holy One also means that he is absolutely pure, absolutely pure, which means that there is nothing wrong in God or with God. There's nothing wrong uh, with God, in God, or about God, right? Absolutely nothing. Everything God is, everything God does is right is perfect, and therefore we can say he is pure, holy. Now, uh, I admit that right there, that's very brief (laughs) when it comes to describing God's holiness, but I really believe that's foundational at least, or essentially what it means for God to be holy, that he's perfectly unique, completely separate, and absolutely pure. This is who God is. He is holy. Now, Uh, What we're going to do, something a little bit different than what we're going to typically do here, because we're about to move to another verse. We're about to move to a different part of the scriptures. Um, This this sermon series, I want to say this right from the very beginning, this sermon series is going to be sort of atypical, right, uh, uh, for how we're going to approach preaching here and teaching through God's word, in that we're going to be jumping around the Bible a little bit more Uh, in this series. Typically, we're going to stay in one book. We're going to stay in one passage and just go through that text verse by verse. Um, But I think a a five-week sermon series explaining the gospel uh, demands a little bit more overview of the scriptures. And so that's how we're going to sort of approach this, okay? But with that said, turn with me now to Proverbs chapter 17, okay? We're trying to describe or define who God is, who God is. Proverbs chapter 17. So again, who is God? He is holy. And now number two, we see here, God is just. God is just. He's perfect. He's unique. He's set apart. Completely other. Proverbs 17 is going to tell us, show us God is just. Look at what it says. Proverbs 17 verse 15. says, He who justifies the wicked... And he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. God is holy and God is just. And I believe that this verse is is key to understanding that reality. Uh, Just like with the holiness of God, okay, there are many verses that talk about the justice of God. We could have turned to a lot of different texts. But the reason I wanted to bring this specific verse forward is because I think that it really helps us to understand God's justice in light of the gospel, okay? When we consider this verse, 
Um, what, what it's really doing, and I hope to show you this, it's really setting up the tension that's at the center of the scriptures. And really the tension that's at uh, the heart or the center of all of human history. Uh, so again, if I was looking to memorize scripture, uh, this would be a good one. You see, what King Solomon, who wrote this, what he shows us here in Proverbs is that God, um, he's a righteous, or you would, could say that he is a good judge. And as a good judge, we see that he justifies the innocent, and at the same time, he condemns the guilty. Okay, I want us to follow that. We have to get this if we're going to understand the gospel. God, as a good judge, he justifies or declares right the innocent, and he condemns or punishes the guilty. And that's exactly what we would expect a good judge to do, right? Good judges let the innocent people go, and they punish right, the guilty. And notice as well in our, in our Proverbs 17 text here that it says that God is actually outraged by injustice. It literally says there that injustice is an abomination to him, that he despises it. Um, like almost like it makes him sick to even think about injustice. Um, he hates it, in other words. Hates it when the guilty are found innocent. And vice versa. Why? Well, because it's wrong, right? It's not just, and he is a just God. Again, just as a way of making this really easy for us to grasp, God says to the guilty, you are guilty. He's right to do that. And he says to the innocent, you are innocent. And again, he is right to do that. God demands justice because he himself is just. Now, I don't want to jump ahead too much uh, to where we're heading in the next couple of weeks. But just for the start, here's why that matters. The reality that God is just, that God is a good judge, creates for us, really, serious tension. Because here's what we know. We're going to talk about this all next week. But what we know is that in his eyes, right, we are all guilty. Right? We have all sinned before God. But here in Proverbs, God himself says that if you justify the guilty, if you say or declare that the guilty are innocent, then you are an abomination. That you are a disgrace to the Lord. And so that seriously begs the question, if you're tracking with me, if we are guilty sinners, how can God, who is just, say that we are innocent? Because doing so would actually go against who he is. It would go against his character. Uh, understand, if God overlooks our sin, then his justice and his holiness are compromised, meaning that he no longer is God. He actually ceases to be God. God must, because he is just, he must punish our sin. So, today, do you feel that tension? Do you realize 
that tension, the problem here, right? You should. Think about uh, if there was a judge today in our modern culture here, uh, and all of these criminals uh, were brought before him. Right? And one by one, they came up and they stood before him. They're all guilty, but this, they come before this judge and he declares over and over and over again, nope, you're not guilty. Next, you're innocent. Next, innocent. Next, not guilty, right? Over and over and over again, if you just let these guilty criminals go free in our world, right? Um, we would want to kick that judge out of his seat immediately, right? Of course. Um, we would stand for that. Uh, we, we would want his license to be revoked or, or taken away for injustice, right? This unjust judge, he should be removed. And so at the same time then, how can God, a, a good and just God who is holy, who is perfect, who is pure, how can he say to the guilty, you and me, you're forgiven, you're innocent, or go free, you're free? Um, that right there, that's the problem. That's the tension that lays at the heart of humanity and all throughout the scriptures. This is the tension of the gospel. How can God justify a guilty humanity? And it's really that question that leads to our third characteristic. When we're trying to describe or define who God is in light of the gospel, we've seen God is holy. The scriptures declare that God is just. And then third, what we see all throughout the narrative of scripture is that God is gracious. Number three, God is gracious. He is holy. There's no one like him. He's set apart. He's perfect in all his ways. He is just, meaning he's a good judge. He is righteous. Um, he declares innocent people innocent. He declares guilty people guilty. And then we see that he is gracious. If we want to be gospel-centered people, we need to understand this truth about God so clearly. God is gracious. He's gracious. Uh, well, we've been in the Old Testament so far this morning, just a couple passages. But now turn with me to the back of your Bible, um, almost to the very end of the New Testament, to the book of Titus. Titus. We've considered two verses so far. I'll give you one more that speaks to who God is. And again, same with the other texts. We could turn to a myriad of scriptures all throughout the scripture to make the same point. It's Titus 2.11. Simple but profound scripture. Again, this is what the Apostle Paul writes to Titus. He says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Um, grace, that word grace, it, it's a word that we throw around a lot in the church. We just came out of a sermon series called Habits of Grace. Right? We talk about grace a lot as followers of Jesus. We throw around the word uh, grace a lot in church context, church culture, right? Um, you hear this word a lot. Like in Christian conversations, I'm sure every one of us here has either used this or have heard this. Someone's like, oh, God is just so gracious to me today. I'm so thankful for his grace. Or uh, the Lord was so gracious to me in that circumstance. Or just so thankful for his grace. Like we use that word. Um, but we need to make sure very, that we're very clear or 
about what that actually means, that God is gracious. Um, I'm not sure, actually, I was thinking about it this week, and I was trying to think of, like, if I was to rank, like, the most important words in all of Scripture. Um, And I was thinking, is there a more important word in all of the Bible uh, than the word grace? Of course, Jesus would be one, I guess. Um, But right below that, okay, uh, I think we could have a good argument uh, about what should be right following that, and I think there's a good case to be made that it would be the word grace. Because in many ways, um, grace is actually what separates Christianity from the rest of the belief systems in our world. Um, Grace. C.S. Lewis, um, he's been mentioned a few times in this gathering, even recently. But there was one time, there's this actual story, uh, pretty good story, uh, where there there are several religious scholars, and they, they had a meeting, sort of a forum, and they get together and they're debating Christianity, all right? Um, and more specifically, they're talking about or discussing, debating, if there's anything truly unique about Christianity. And the story goes that um, C.S. Lewis, I don't know if this was a habit or not, but he was a little bit late to this meeting. And he's the guy that everyone really wants to hear from, but he's sort of, I don't know, fashionably late? I don't know. Right? You guys have your discussion about... <laughs> What's unique, and then I'll show up and give you the I don't know how that worked. Um, but they're having this discussion, and they're, they're trying to figure out what's unique. And he walks into the room. He, he sits down, and they ask him the question, um, Mr. Lewis, is, is there anything, do you believe that there's anything unique about Christianity and, and, and that faith? And he, without hesitation, he says, oh, that's really easy. One word, grace. It's really simple, <laughs> Um, God is gracious, he said, and that separates us from everybody else in the whole world. Um, And here's what that means. When we're talking about God being gracious, here's what it means. It means that God shows those guilty people um, free and undeserved favor. That's ultimately what grace means. That grace means that God shows the guilty free an unmerited or undeserved favor. Um, Don't miss this. God is gracious. God is gracious in that not only does he spare the guilty of what they deserve, but also in that he gives the guilty what they could never deserve. It's twofold. What they could never earn, he gives because he is full of grace. Uh, You see, religions around the world... If you've ever studied world religions, maybe some of you have been a part of another religious group before. Uh, But other religions around the world, philosophies, systems, they are built around, centered on doing certain things, uh, taking certain steps, um, observing certain practices, um, following a specific set of rules to get to God in order to earn favor with God, in order to appease the gods, right, in some instances. But the message of the gospel uh, is that God does not require anything for you to earn his favor. That he shows free and unmerited favor to those who could never earn it. That's who he is. It defines him. Titus 2 says that the grace of God has appeared to us. It's appeared and brought salvation to all 
people. And we'll certainly talk about that every single week of this uh, series, more specifically. But this is the simple and glorious gospel right here, that God brought salvation in the midst of our great dilemma, in the midst of this uh, astronomical tension. That this is what we center our lives around. This is what we share with others. His character, that God is holy, that he is just, but there's good news. God is also gracious. And again, uh, we're going to continue to come back to these truths. But for now, I just want us to begin to think as we sort of open this series, how can I begin in my life to not just know these truths, but to actually begin to weave these truths into my life? Um, How can I take the truths about the character of God and become a more gospel-centered person? Um, How can I begin to live these truths? I'm being transformed, certainly, first and foremost, by the truths. But then how can I begin to allow those truths or let these truths begin to form and shape my life so that I'm living them out but also sharing them with others? And so the way I want to sort of go from here or even really close today is to begin by giving us just a few practical steps um, on how we can do that. That how can we consistently put the truth of God's character into the center of our lives? Certainly we need to know these gospel truths, who is God, but how can they actually impact our lives? Um, I wrote out, so many, but tried to boil it down to a few, okay? There's so many different ways to approach this, um, so we'll run through these really quickly. Uh, number one, a, a way to live out this gospel truth or to let this truth transform your life um, in a very practical way is to acknowledge the glory of God in creation every chance that you have. Um, if you understand the character of God, that he is holy, just, and gracious, a gospel-centered person who knows this truth does this. They acknowledge the glory of God in creation every chance that they have. Uh, We know uh, that as the creator of all things, the creator of the universe, that God, he's at work in the world, right? Um, And he is revealing himself to me. He's revealing himself to you. And he's revealing himself to the world around us. And one of the primary ways that he does that, actually, is through his creation. Romans chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, it says this. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. In other words, he's revealed himself to the world. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. So as you and I walk into our world, we need to have this perspective. We have to live with a sense of this understanding that God is is actually literally, he's showing himself, he's revealing himself to us and to others, that he has and is revealing himself through his creative order. And we, as his followers, we have the opportunity, actually, to point people to that truth, to that reality. So what does that look like? Well, 
it means that we don't just look at a sunset and say, look at that sunset, it's so beautiful. We say, look at the glory of God that's revealed in that sunset. Isn't he so beautiful? You see the difference? As a person who has a relationship with the creator God, with the living God, I don't just point to the beauty of the clouds. I point to the beauty of the creator of the clouds. So let's not talk about creation like we're atheists. We so often tend to do that. Let's not be atheists in our speech. Talk about creation like it's actually revealing the glory of God because it is. Gospel-centered people point to, to and acknowledge God in everything they see and everything that they do. Number two, can acknowledge the presence of God in specific areas of your life. Gospel-centered people do this. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, when your life is centered around Christ, centered around the person of Jesus, even the simplest questions in your life that you receive, like, how are you doing? Or, what's going on in your life today? Right? They can in some ways should, take on a radical new meaning. How do you answer those types of questions even now? Again, don't answer them like you're an atheist. Let me encourage you. <laughs> or agnostic. Right? Like, don't answer people, especially if they're not believers, don't answer people as if God is nowhere to be found in your life. If God is present in your life, which he is, If you're following him, he's indwelling, actually, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. Talk like he's present in your life. So in your conversations, right, talk about the ways that God is working in you, in the ways that he's active in your life. Speak to how God is present in your life, about how he's changing you, how he's teaching you, how he's blessing you, how he's keeping you. You see, what is true is that God is, we know this, right, he's literally Literally working and moving in every single circumstance and situation in your life. There are no chances in this life. There are no coincidences. He is sovereign over all things, above all things. So is that acknowledged in your speech? Do you talk as if that is true? Luke chapter 6 verse 45 tells us, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So are you speaking the gospel? I'm not just saying just evangelism. But is your regular speech, is it saturated with gospel truths? Is the character of God, in other words, is it regularly, even naturally, coming out of your mouth? Because what's in your heart will come out of your mouth. So if you're not doing that, Maybe, again, you've assumed the gospel. Maybe you're here and you've assumed that, oh, yeah, I'm a gospel-centered person. I'm following Jesus. But is your life saturated with gospel truth? You and I should be acknowledging God every chance that we get. Not just on Sunday mornings. Not just in our weekly uh, discipleship groups, Bible studies, missional families, Sunday school. Everywhere. All the time we have the opportunity to point to him just in how we speak and acknowledge him. Number three, a gospel-centered person, they will 
speak about God with reverential awe and about yourself with genuine humility. There's two things happening there, okay? This is really simple. We should speak to God and about God with others as if he actually is the creator, as if he actually is absolutely unique, set apart, and pure, right? Gospel-centered people talk to God and to others about God as if God is the Holy One, because he is. So when you're talking about God, is, is it with reverence? Is it with awe? Is it with majesty? Are you deeply humbled by the Lord? Does that describe you today? When, we, when you talk about God, or, and even yourself, when you talk about yourself, is it clear that you believe that you are very small and that God is infinitely big? That you are in need and that God, on the other hand, is in need of nothing? That he is above and he is over and he is in all things? Certainly you are not. I am not. You see, when you understand the character of God in light of the gospel, when you understand who God is, when you truly take the time to meditate on his character, that he is so unlike us, that he is so good, it will always lead you to a place of reverence and awe of him and deep humility of yourself. And that should come pouring out of your life if you're truly centered on the gospel. Number four, can express confidence in God regardless of your circumstances. In some ways, uh, the points above were about him being the creator God and the reality that he is holy. It's understanding that. This is sort of where we move to the understanding that God is just. It It would lead you to this place. A person who understands that God is just, they will express confidence in God regardless of their circumstances. Uh, I will say, uh, at least maybe this one's just for me. Uh, uh, for me, this one's very difficult. It's not easy to do. I'm sure you'll agree. Um, but when you, what this means is that when you see injustice in our world, or when you're going through a difficult trial, or when you feel like you're not being treated just, it means that you express confidence, even in that moment, in the creator of the universe. Uh, I, I hope that makes sense. There should be a, a clear separation between how you view, view our world's problems and your own problems and how a non-believer views those issues and their own. There should be clear distinction there. So when, for example because this is just always all over my news feed, when there are political issues in front of us, political controversies, um, the message or the post back to the world is, God is over all things. Right? When there's injustice, for the believer, for the gospel-centered person, there's perspective. Um, God is still on the throne. He hasn't left his rightful place. He is the king. So when trials and troubles come, how do you approach those trials and troubles? How do you go about sharing those circumstances 
in your life with other people. Those are opportunities, actually, for you to speak to people about the hope that we have and the hope that is coming. But so often we fail in that regard. But this is what gospel-centered people do. They keep their perspective. They acknowledge who God is, his rightful place, and they express confidence in those gospel truths, regardless of what's going on around them. They know that God is just. And then finally... Um, and this speaks to our understanding of God's graciousness, Uh, we credit God with everything good in and around us. And that simply means, again, speaking of his grace, that we are uh, saturated, filled to the brim, overflowing. We've been given God's grace abundantly. That grace should be coming out of you if you're a gospel-centered person. It means simply you're expressing gratitude always. You have a spirit of thanksgiving, spirit of thanksgiving, you might say. That when you are complimented, you point back to God. Um, I remember one time I was listening to a, um, uh, I was at a, at, a, at a church back in my home in Raleigh, North Carolina. I guess it's not my home, but it's where I lived for a season. And I was at a church, and um, the pastor spoke a really, it was a really strong message. I was really challenged by it, really encouraged by it. And so after the service, uh, I went, out to, went up to seek him out, you know, to uh, talk to him about it. And I remember after the sermon, I walked up to him, and I just said, wow, what a great sermon. Um, you did, that was awesome. Like, it really, really, you know, touched me in my heart and really inspired me. Um, and um, he had known that I was, you know, in seminary and uh, had gone to seminary and being a, uh, a church, wanted to be a church planter and a pastor, all those things. He was uh, much older than me, and uh, I remember him saying, um, when I complimented him about his sermon, he spoke nothing of himself. He didn't even accept my compliment. He just pointed back to God. And I remember him telling me, uh, he was like telling me, he's like, James, if the majority of people, when you, when you preach sermons, if the majority of the people, when they leave, um, if they're complimenting you, uh, then you, you might have not done everything right. But if they're leaving the place and they're complimenting God, then you've done everything right. And that really, really, well, first it humbled me, um, but it really challenged me because I was thinking, what? That's not that doesn't seem fair. Like, you know, I put all this time and effort into this and like the, the compliments are keep me going for the next day. Like, uh, you know, or for the next, the next sermon, right? Uh, I'm kidding, but sort of. I was young, 24, something like that, okay? Um, but, I, 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 but I think about that so often, uh, not just for the sake of a sermon illustration here, but I think about that now even so often uh, that uh, when people say good about me or towards me is my first response to point them back to God. Um, Because there's nothing good in me. Nothing. Uh, Any gift, talent, work, anything that looks like Christ, there's nothing good in me. Um, And so how dare I take away his his glory? Um, Gospel-centered people understand that anything good in you, in us, or anything good around us 
is an opportunity to show other people the character of God. And so in your life, when things go well for you at home or at work or in your school, um, that's a great opportunity for you to acknowledge him, always. So again, in my own life, um, I, wanna, I want the people around me to know how grateful I am for God. Um, that even my unbeliever friends, I have several of them um, here in Seoul and back home, that they would almost get, grow tired of that. Uh, I just, they just have to know everything in me, everything about me. I'm just so thankful, so grateful to God that he has been so, so good to me. That I'm nothing without him. I have that deep desire within me. Do you? Um, do you share your heart of gratitude with, with others? As gospel-centered people, we live our lives with a spirit of, thanks, uh, of thankfulness, knowing, think about this, that this holy God who is other, who is set apart, perfect, pure, he desires a relationship with you and me. So again, are you grateful for his grace. Uh, the people around you know how grateful you are for God's saving grace to you. Uh, do you acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways? Uh, because what we say and how we live speaks volumes about what we believe about the gospel. And so to understand the gospel, we must first and foremost understand who God is. It's the foundation. So who is God? Who is God? What does the gospel say about the God of the Bible? Simple. God is the holy, just, and gracious creator of all things. It's who he is. It's who we get the opportunity to serve. It's the starting point of the gospel message. Is the starting point of this series. Um, so do you believe this about our God? Let's pray.